This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. I love sharing with people how much you get out of cooking, how much how to demystify cooking so people won't be uptight about it and just have a go. This is The Luminaries on the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Inspiration can come from any given moment. Influence can be acquired in many different ways, but there are few that leave an indelible mark on not only the Australian culinary landscape, but on the way we eat and place food at the core of our families and culture. There are few that have had more influence on those in the industry and home cooks than Maggie Beer. Maggie, how are you? Oh, I'm I'm really good, thanks, Huck. <laughs> I couldn't not be after that. <laughs> well, your influence is undeniable, and, and so too the joy and enthusiasm you have for food. Was there a moment when you realised food would be your career? Yes, yes, it was. Um, look, it was a matter of necessity um, in that we were farming we were farming pheasants and no one had any idea how to cook them. And so what they did was um, there were no books uh, for anything but European birds that were very different because they were in the wild and had their guts in and, you know, it was a different different um, uh, issue altogether. And I simply um, – used my instinct. I always knew how to cook and I didn't think anything of it. I just started cooking the birds. <laughs> and uh, we set, well, because of Colin winning a Churchill Fellowship, we set came back from that and set up a farm shop where we sold all of our farm shop uh, all of our farm produce direct to the public and I cooked them to show them how and pheasant and quail and partridge and pickled quail's eggs and terrines and pâtés. Um, and so that's how it all began. What were the challenges involved in the early days when you started cooking um, pheasant and quail and all, all these birds? Were there, were there challenges getting your head around it? Well, the challenges, as the farm shop, it was wonderful because really it was very simple. It was on the side of the dam. It um, People had to seek us out. The cooking part was really easy. I would, because it was just natural to me, but I would write out a recipe and they would, I would charge $1 extra um, to cook the bird, cut it up so they could taste it and take it away, have a picnic on the side of the dam and then take their chilled bird home to cook themselves. So that part was easy, but we didn't make a cent <laughs> and worked incredibly hard. Um, the The difficulties came when we decided that the only way to do this was to morph into a restaurant with absolutely, I'd never been taught to cook, I'd never run a restaurant, I'd waited tables for my parents in RSL clubs, that was my only, <laughs> that was my only experience, although I did get a job as a cook in the sailing school in Scotland for six weeks, uh, once because they were desperate, but um, that that just um, 
that the difficulty was the fact that I was learning one step ahead of my customer um, and doing a table d'hote um, menu for the first year. Um, and the one step ahead was okay when there were individual customers, but when we did a group, that was, that was something that was hard. That was hard going, understanding the logistics of a group and keeping everything. Everything was a la minute and timing. That was tough. Was the success, the success of the restaurant surprising to you? One restaurant of the year. Uh, take us through that period of time. Like, what was it like, you know, not being trained and winning restaurant of the year? Well, it, um, it was um, an unbelievable occurrence. And um, I'd been um, uh, I'd been in Geelong at a symposium of gastronomy and we were camping with Stephanie Alexander and all the cohort from the symposium, uh, symposium of gastronomy. And I we I knew that the Patricia Wells was the judge that year and I remembered the day she was there and I was really excited. But when I was getting the plane to Sydney, because we'd been camping, I um, I changed at the airport into a skirt and blouse that was clean but still had boots on, and I mean camping boots. And I remember when um, the award was given to me, Patricia Wells said, as soon as I saw you walk in the door, I knew you had no idea. <laughs> and it was, it was as big a shock to me as it was to all the wonderful restaurants of Sydney and Melbourne. <laughs> it took them a while to get over it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was so special about the restaurant? Well, it was just all about the fact that it was it, it was a game restaurant, and it wasn't just pheasant, pheasant quail. We we had venison, we had hare, rabbit. Oh, I love to cook rabbit. It was all wild food, and and you know we would forage for the red currants in the Mount Crawford forests. Um, we we foraged um, everywhere. You know, this is nineteen ninety. One um, uh, and it was just everything was cooked from scratch. Um, it, it was simple, but it was so full of flavour and freshness, and I guess authenticity, uh, because we were nothing more than a simple country restaurant. Um, but it happened. And I still can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned um, working with your parents as a as a child and um, working tables in RSLs. Take me back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Ah, well, food was so important to every day of my life. Um, in my family, it was my father who was passionate about food and produce, taught my mother how to cook. Um, and he had an instinct for food as I inherited and our sassy inherited from me. Um, and um, every, it was all, you know, we, we had whole animals and we lived in the suburbs right the western suburbs of sydney but we made brawn with a pig's head uh liver was the very chicken livers were the very first thing i ever cooked so offal was our prize um whole fish um everything everything was so important 
in terms of its seasonality and its quality. I didn't realize that everyone else didn't live this way. Uh, and, and when you think, I mean, I'm 77. So when you think back to when I was a child, there was no zucchini and, and, and kale and artichokes and basil. And, you know, it was pumpkin, carrots, sweet potato, turnips, um, swedes, all of things I love, onions, but, um, and spinach, um, not even broccoli, you know. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was another time, Anthony. <laughs> Do you have any stories of um, working with your parents with the catering company that, that they had? Well, yes, I guess I do in that um, um, the only reason they had um, the catering was because they had a manufacturing business and went and were bankrupt. And I left school when I I was 14 and my older brother 16. And to keep the family uh, with the help of an aunt um, and um, they, in those days, social services I'm sure weren't even available but they were too proud anyhow if they had been so after my father recovered physically and emotionally enough to work no chance of getting jobs so they they just started I think the very first one was a golf club but then Chester Hill RSL um, you know places like that and he was so far ahead of his time in that he used to age um, age fillets of beef and <laughs> and then persuade the customers of Chester Hill RSL that <laughs> they were really wonderful. <laughs> um, but, but then they also used to do um, uh, curried sausages oh, for the people who wanted them. <laughs> so I, I helped in between coming and going from um, travelling. So I was always thrown in the deep end for the very small amount of time I was ever there. Wow, you've just um, triggered some amazing memories for myself. I grew up in Chester Hill and oh, know the RSL very well. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and I can guarantee you I think I would have rather the food when you were there and your parents than perhaps <laughs> the time that I was. Oh, well, isn't, isn't that amazing? Yes, yeah, Chester Hill RSL. <laughs> you've become... Um, you know, the voice of the Barossa or known from the Barossa. Um, how, how did you end up there? Well, um, I met um, I met Colin. Uh, I met my husband, Colin, um, skiing at Mount Buller, working at Mount Buller in that I threw in a job in Sydney after I had, uh, a year after I'd come back from four years in Europe. And um, there was no snow at Threadbow for my holidays, so I rang Mount Buller and Kurura Chalet had a job going to make sandwiches. <laughs> And I said, I'm coming. And Colin had just um, um, done a commercial pilot's license and there were no jobs going. So he got a job pulling beers at Karura. And, um, well, uh, we met there, not not immediately because um, it was a pretty big, um, a pretty big uh, crew of people. But when we did we kind of hit it off because 16 weeks later we married 52 years ago and and so his family came from the Barossa and in fact 
uh, well, from Malala, which is a little town on the plains, but his forebears came from Cilicia in 1848 on the Alfred and um, to Tananda. So, so he, he had, he, we, we worked and lived in Sydney for um, about three, four years, um, but he always wanted to come back to South Australia and he had this vision, it was his entirely, of farming pheasants. Um, yeah, so that's how it all happened. That's how we came to the Barossa. What was it like farming pheasants, just, you know, moving states and going for it? Oh, well, for me, look, we, we were both risk takers and adventurers and um, I had lived in the country in Scotland on on the Isle of Skye and um, on the west coast of Scotland, Loch Argyll, and, and I loved country life, even though, you know, I was a Westie and very much a Westie of Sydney and I translated to the country beautifully. Um, so I just thought it was wonderful, um, and and it has been. The the restaurant closed a couple of years after you won Restaurant of the Year. Tell us about that period of time, the decision to to close it, but the opportunities that came from that. Well, of course, um, uh, it. What, what happened when we won that restaurant of the year? All of a sudden, um, we were the flavour of the month. We had a cult following for years, but when this happened, we had to um, we had to make space in the ram paddock for the helicopters to land, and everyone from Sydney, the, the east coast, wanted to visit. We had never changed. We were still the simple country restaurant. I never left the stoves. I loved every single day, but it burnt me out. And I would never have, I would never have stopped. But one day Colin came in and said, it's a restaurant or, or me, you're, you're killing yourself. And so um, <laughs> I took him, uh, but I said, okay, but <clears throat> on the condition that I give a date four months hence while well, I plucked that out of the air um, so I could go out on a high and boy did we go out on a high and it's wonderful to go out at the height of your fame let me tell you <laughs> and we had the best party and but it took me a year to recover because I was burnt out and then after that it was the export kitchen in Tananda that we built um, uh, exported to Tokyo our pate um, thanks to an amazing, um, uh, amazing man, Toshio Yasuma, who was Adam Wynn's um, uh, distributor in Tokyo. And so that that building of the export kitchen to be able to do that cemented our place in being able to to make um, to make a lot of pate with all of the necessary um, um, uh, restraint constraints in terms of temperature and safety and hassle, uh, without without taking one short, you know, without um, taking a um, uh, a step that 
Oh, I'm just thinking of uh, without taking any shortcut. And that in, that scaling up was one of the things that I found very easy to do. Well, easy. You have to really work at it. But because I do everything by feel, I found there was nothing to stop me scaling up because it was just, you know, from one kilo to five, then to 20, and then to 50. You know, it just, it's it's all possible. But it's a lot of work. This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, helping managers and staff do their best work. At Deputy, we're on a mission. We're on a mission to simplify shift work for every cafe, every restaurant, every bar, every business owner, every dishy, every waiter, every cook, every sous chef, this is the industry that will thrive with Deputy. For more information, go to deputy.com. Your products are an incredible example of artisan bespoke products of the highest standard, but, um, you know, produced for a, a larger market. What, what's been the joys of and real successes for you of, of the whole Maggie Beer range? Well, I mean, I still... It, we we sold the business um uh two years ago although i'm still i still sit on the board and i still have um uh, i still have the overview and and the finishing touches to all of the new products so that's my love um but what i'm most proud of Ah, always of the pate that we could keep that quality and not have any preservative, except for the port in it, of course, has um, sulfur, um, but no other preservatives. Uh, it's all natural, always the best ingredients. I I love our fruit paste because it's all it started with all our fruit, but all South Australian fruit. One year we had to go further afield, but um, keeping our growers and the the connection with our growers and the decisions of when to buy, when to pick, um, how to how to grade, how to look after, because I'm I was always a control freak, um, and and uh, but I love that uh, that relationship with the growers was always so fabulous, and utilizing products that would otherwise be wasted that really that really has always um always driven me and that's how virtues began because we couldn't sell our wine riesling grapes and so i was always onto the next new idea as to how we could maximize um any produce because we've been farmers we've been vignerons for 47 years so the, the grapes you know um uh, everything the quinces the grapes the olives um um, all of those things I just love. The Pheasant Farm Restaurant isn't the only time you've um, stepped into the world of food service and hospitality in that sense. Um, you opened the eatery quite some time ago as well. How, how did that come about? Oh, well, that's, that was absolutely – well, the eatery – the eatery is our youngest daughter Ellie, and 
And um, it, it is something that's so special because Tim Burke, who is also a partner in it, Tim Burke, amazing young chef, who was the exec chef at Southern Ocean Lodge um, uh, when it first began for years. And he is extraordinary. And he and Elia um, have been friends from forever. But the... Um, the eatery came out of a building that we built a, a, or about seven years before the eatery started for both Saskia and Ellie to do catering and weddings uh, at the farm. And But it was – it just didn't work because every Saturday there was a wedding in the year, but it was set up as a function centre and – and to make it pay, you and you needed to have three weddings a, a week, um, not not one. And so, um, it was turned into an eatery three years ago, and it's got a cooking school one end, and it's just a forty seater and open five days a week, and beautiful fresh food. But Tim has the same. It, it's exactly the philosophy that Ellie grew up with and Tim espouses, everything's made. Every cheese, every stock, every syrup, every <laughs> everything is made from scratch. Um, and this is how the pheasant farm was from its early, early days. So in even though you know, we're half owners, but that's um, but it's Ellie and Tim who who are the people to take the bow. You've become a household name and you're on uh, the TV screens almost all the time with, in various ways. <laughs> what, what was the first foray into into that world and do you have a story about it? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, the, the ABC... The ABC had a funny sh- – well, I shouldn't say a funny show – had a show called Beat the Chef. I think it was only on for one year, perhaps two series but over one year. And um, they, uh, the ABC were only thinking in terms of young people. And uh, they, they rang my sassy um, to, to ask her to go on. And Sass was a beautiful, beautiful cook, but she hated the limelight. She hated photographs. She hated um, anything like that. And she said, no, you've got to talk to mum. And so I, I was, I was the, I was the second, second choice to go on and do this, this show where, as a professional inverted commas, I was up against two, um, two amateurs who had uh, been cooking together for ages to perfect a recipe, and, and. I had the same ingredients as they were using in the fridge, but I didn't know until I opened the door on camera what it was. And, of course, I was just having a blast. I was just I, – I was very, very funny. And uh, after that, they the ABC um, pursued me and said, would I do a show 40 weeks a year? And I said, oh, not on my own, no way. But if you give me someone I can bounce off, I'll think about it. And think about it, we did. And um, when Simon and I got to work together, um, uh, it was uh, it was just wonderful because we were so different. And 
And by the time that this happened, I knew what I would not do. And so I was able to say it had to be at the farm. It had to be seasonal when it went to air. Uh, so if it were, if it were uh, asparagus, this was the, this was the period. Um, so I would conceptualize um, the year based on what was in season when. And th that we would never repeat anything. We would do pickups, as they're called, pickups, you know, so the cameras could, but we would never go back on anything. Um, and uh, we would never, yeah, we would never repeat. So when Simon walked into the door, I had no idea what he was cooking. He had no idea what I was cooking. Um, and so everything was off the cuff the whole time. Yeah, it was fun. Wow. And the, chem the chemistry between the both of you and the honesty of, from both of you was, was, was amazing captured on film. What, 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 do you have any funny stories of where, where it went wrong? Oh, yes, yes. And well, that was the other thing. If it went wrong, it had to go in. Um, <laughs> and, and like he nearly killed me with chili. Um, just even, I, I'll never forget the day that he put 13 chilies in a pan. And I was just, I, I was, I, my, I, I can't cope with chili, but the, the fumes of the chili was so great. I had to race out the door and the cameraman's camera is going up and down as he was also, um, he was also um, uh, affected. So, uh, but on other days, you know, I'd burn things. So we'd say, okay, this is how we fix it up. Yeah. A lot of uh, professionals and home cooks uh, look to you as a mentor and have been inspired by what what you do. But over your career, what, what where did where did you get inspiration from? I got a great deal of inspiration from Stephanie Stephanie Alexander because she. I first met her in 1984 when the Symposium of Gastronomy um, was on, and the thing that Stephanie did for me was one, we didn't have any money. We were broke as broke. And so I couldn't afford to, I had this feeling I wanted to go overseas and learn. And she said, well, why don't you just come and be a fly on the wall in at Stephanie's and, you know, get a feel of, of, of processes. So, which I did. And, and the other thing Stephanie did was direct me to, reading matters like I I wouldn't have known about Alice Waters as soon as I did or Madeleine Kaman, um or Paula Wolford you know uh, we were in a country town we started it in um, what was it 90 uh, uh, 70 oh gosh now I'm um, 1978 1979 we started it so there wasn't you know, there wasn't. Um, uh, um, she was my she was my touch point about how I could learn more, um, and so uh, you know, and, and my my restaurant was never going to be like a Stephanie's because it was very grand and yet wonderful. Every piece of food that came out of there was fantastic. So we came together on philosophy um, and um, of 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 quality and produce and, and seasonality. And yeah. And we've been friends ever since. Um, you, you do um, numerous shows now, or you have done over your career since that 
the time that you spoke of. What, what, what do you love about the realm of television and food communication? I love sharing with people how, how, how much you get out of cooking, how much, how to demystify cooking so people won't be uptight about it and just have a go Um, because I'm chaotic I'm messy you know I would never as as a contestant on anything I would be out the first week because I (laughs) but my love of food if I can if I can share that and give people confidence that they can really cook too um then then that's that's what has that's what has kept me going the last couple of years have been challenging um for everyone on the on the planet what what sort of impact has it had on you and what you do it's um in some ways it was a gift um i mean business ways it was uh, business wise it was terrible we all know that um and probably in south australia we weren't nearly as as badly off as certainly victoria um um but what the impact on me was to give me more time in the garden than i've ever had in my life and um the lockdown was amazing <laughs> Um, and I just, I have, I have spent more time loving every moment of it. Uh, everything I do, I tend to get a bit obsessive about. And, um, uh, I just think, I mean, we've got space here on, at, at our home cottage. I mean, we lived on the farm for the first 10 years, but, um, uh, but, our cottage is on 20 acres, so we've got olives and quinces and great uh, grapes, of course. Uh, I have a huge veggie garden. I have a home orchard and we have the orchard at, at the pheasant farm as well. I mean, we, we just we have our own sheep. We're, we're so close to self-sufficient if we choose to be. Um, it was a lovely time if it weren't for the fact that it was very hard financially for, you know, keeping everyone. For someone who's um, had such an influence and such an incredible career in food, what what sort of advice would you have for for young people that want to make a career in food? Learn, learn, learn. Um, First of all, if they really want to make a career in food um, as a chef, for instance, then then it would be about – really putting a case to a really good restaurant because learning no matter at the lowest level from a really good restaurant um, is the most amazing key. But if you don't have that chance, immerse yourself in the food books, immerse yourself in in the food magazines as a start, but then start reading uh, just go to the library and and um, if if you live in a Mediterranean climate like I did, this is how I learned, um, is every book of the Mediterranean that I could just to absorb what grows here, what is possible, um, just never stop learning. Learning is the most seductive thing you can do um, because it leads you to it leads you to put ideas together in your head that you then can then you can then follow through and um, and growing 
um, if I think you can't be a really good cook unless you grow at least your fresh herbs, if not your vegetables. Once you understand the flavour of of vegetables when they're um, plucked from the ground that day and cooked that night, that's when you really start to understand flavour. And understanding flavour and and seasoning, um, understanding those things. And look, look at look at Netflix. Look at the great the great things that you can learn. Um, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful time, but it's hard work and don't kid yourself. <laughs> You've uh, fostered the most incredible relationships with producers and, and communicated to so many across the country. What is it that you love about what you do? I, I love sharing. Uh, I love, as people have helped me, I love to have the chance to help people direct um, uh, to an idea that they might be able to follow. And, you know, one of the things I used to say 40 years ago even, if every farmer knew every single thing about whatever it was that they were they were growing to be able to, to um, even if they couldn't value add themselves, just by living and breathing what they were proud of, they could then share all that knowledge with the people buying from them. Um, I think that's that's um, a really significant thing, and it's 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 where you have growers who are passionate about their produce who can take it to the next level by uh, value adding and dealing direct with the public. I mean that that to me is nirvana, and it's why it's why we it's why we've got. Uh, we have um, put together a Churchill Fellowship in memory of Sassy of Saskia because this is what happened with us. Collins Churchill Fellowship and Sass took her living knowledge of what we did into what she did, and so um, um, if you can inspire people to continue to learn, and of course that's what the Churchill Fellowship opportunity is. Well, Maggie, you've been an incredible source of um, information and inspiration to so many in this country, and it's an absolute honour to have you on the Luminaries today on Deep in the Weeds to hear just a little bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.